Welcome to the Ignatius Press Podcast. I'm Mark Brumley. I hope you enjoy the discussion in this episode. For more information about Ignatius Press, check out our website at ignatius.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Ignatius Press Podcast. I've, I've had here's my guest today, Michael Norton, author of new novel, Hiker's Guide to Purgatory. Uh, this is Michael Norton's first novel. I think it's his first book, but we we're very excited to have published it this season. I actually got the privilege of working with Mike uh, on editing this book, which took very little editing, actually, uh, the course of a couple of months. And it was a real pleasure to read and uh, a lot of fun, uh, despite it being purgatory. So, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Michael. <laughs> thank you so much, Thomas. It was uh, actually a pleasure working with you, and you made a really easy job. So, thanks again. So let's launch right into this this book. Um, so we'll start at the beginning. So this book is about Dan, um, Dan Geary. And he's a 77-year-old man, and he wakes up one day to find himself in a beautiful landscape. Uh, birds chirping, grass is green, you know, the sun is like the perfect brightness. Uh, and he feels 50 years younger, you know, he feels like a young man again, full of energy. His dog, his favorite dog is near him. Uh, sounds like heaven, but it's not. Uh, so how does Dan figure out where he really is? Well, I thought about this a lot before we went on, and it's, there's a, there are a couple of reasons. One, uh, he's a good Catholic, or a better Catholic than he was. And he's, in, he's a lawyer, so he's trained in logic. And he can realize fairly soon that he, he knows he's dead, and he can see that this is not hell. Um, but he also knows himself well enough to know that he is not ready for heaven yet. And being uh, well catechized, I guess, he, he knows that there's a third alternative and that this must be it. So he's happy to see that, uh, that it's purgatory. The, the thing is, of course, that um, Dan is also a little bit cocky at this point, just probably out of relief and not being condemned to hell. Um, so I think he, he thinks that he's in for a really, uh, soft ride here. Um, and it, it takes a while for him to come face to face with the idea that there may be some hard work ahead for him and some suffering ahead for him. What are the signs uh, to Dan? that this is not heaven, this is purgatory, besides him knowing himself, his knowing himself well enough to know I couldn't have made it to heaven immediately. What are the signs that this is not quite heaven? It's purgatory he's living in. Um, good question. And, and I, I think theologically, um, one, of the, one of the real signs is that he's alone, um, that he is on his own in a landscape that's, that's quite beautiful, but that nevertheless... Uh, is lacking something, and almost immediately he can feel that lack, and it is personified by the distant mountain range that he's he knows that he needs to go somewhere and he has to do something, and that uh, that range becomes the the focus of a yearning that that he spends almost all time in the book trying to satisfy um, that that. It draws him, and uh, he feels the need to advance further and further along. 
Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I think the isolation that Dan experiences, he finds himself, uh, he can't fully enjoy the, the beauty of the landscape because, precisely because he's alone and it's in finding he's rediscovering, uh, how important other people are to him. He's by himself. He's kind of nothing, you know, that seems to be part of his exactly. journey. Yes. And that, Michael, that's listen. actually kind of a, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish. <laughs> I cut you off. Uh, I was just going to say it's, that's, that's rather subtle at this point in the novel. It's not explicit. And there are a number of places where, um, trying by mood and by surroundings to convey a truth that I don't really feel um, like just kind of blurting out. Yep. So this is this is your first novel, and I think it's actually am I correct that it's your first book? Period. It is. It is. Uh, there were several uh, failed attempts that ended up in uh, <laughs> in the wastebasket along the the way. Uh, this is the one that I felt driven um to write what's your own background as a writer um i was a print journalist for 25 years a newspaper reporter uh, and columnist and then for 13 years after that i was uh, the press and media relations um director for our local tourism board here in traverse city michigan so a lot of time writing press releases and stories and uh, um, got to do a lot of that landscape description that makes it into this book. <laughs> that really shows because that's one of the most striking. Immediately you're drawn in uh, to this book. In fact, just, just the first page. I was going to ask you, I mean, this might be a little tacky, but would you mind reading? Uh, do you have a copy of the book with you? Is, uh... um, you know, it, I should. Hang on a second. Yes, I have a bunch of them. Uh, yeah, would you mind? Uh, I'm reading, just reading those first three paragraphs, if you mind. Uh, sure. You yeah, I can. Page that. seven. And it begins a citation from J.M. Barry's Peter Pan: "To die would be an awfully big adventure." The trailhead was exactly what Dan Geary had expected which meant, strangely, that it looked like nothing he'd ever encountered before. He was standing at the base of a long, grassy hill that rose gently to a cloud sky. Nothing else, just green grass stirring in the breeze, blue, blue sky flecked with brilliant white. A minimalist landscape, but one saturated with intense color. All around him was music, the songs of hidden birds and a light wind sighing as it went. Turning around, he saw that he stood at the end of a vast rolling step, an endless grassland through which the wind moved much more vigorously in sweeping waves like the billows of a great green sea. He felt it on his face, his hair, tugging gently at him. His heart, frozen in torment only a moment before, now lifted in unexpected joy. Yeah, thank you. That's beautiful, and uh, I think that's really what captivates. I'm one of the I'm one of the editors here at Ignatius Press, part of the acquisitions team. We all we had a team of us. We all read this novel, and that's really what what really immediately captivated us is just like the, the sheer beauty of the descriptions of, the, of this landscape. You know, it's very vivid, it's very concrete, and uh, there's a great joy uh, that just comes through. That's just channeled through the narration. You know, and uh, 
I want to ask you, what was it that drove you, that influenced you to write this particular book? You said you were driven uh, when this project in a way you hadn't been before mm. with other, other projects. What was it that was driving you? I think first time um, in my, in the book, in the writing that I was not being paid for, um, I was actually, I felt that I had a message that I wanted to communicate. I wasn't just writing to write. And in this case, um, it was realizing as I was nearing 70 myself that I um, was coming to face death. And I was wondering why I was not particularly worried or scared about that. And some of that is obviously realizing the pure grace of God. But some of it also was a confidence about the kind of afterlife that our Lord would design for those that he loved. Uh, and I felt like, yeah. if nothing else, I could paint an impression of what that might be like to help other people who are facing death and who are thinking about the end of life, to face it with more courage and to face it with, if I dare say, even eager uh, as the the vestibule, the doorway to heaven. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I think as we were reading this book, we were some some one one of the criticisms that was that was raised uh, potentially anyway was that you know this seems like rather easy purgatory. How you know <laughs> seems a little unfair. <laughs> but in fact, that's kind of the, in a way I think that's the point <laughs> is that it, it's it, purgatory is a place that actually is imbued with love. There's a horizon of hope. Um, rather than despair, which actually makes it uh, a beautiful experience. Um, I wanted to ask well, you. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, I, I, I've, we, we may get to this again, and, and probably will. But I'd be more interested in hearing what what you have to ask. I was going to ask you. Uh, you know, so Dan, who was an ex-lawyer uh, in his life on Earth, he was an ex. He was a he made a career of being a lawyer. Plenty of opportunities for, you know, deceit and sin, uh, like with any career. And uh, he sets out on, Dan sets out in this afterlife on a long hike. But it's the most, like he suggests, the most beautiful he's ever experienced. He was an avid hiker, especially in his later years. Um, and this is the most beautiful he's ever experienced, this sort of dreamscape. So what is it that makes this hike so difficult for him, so purgative? Well, it's that... Quite soon, he has to confront some painful truths about himself and about his life and about the habits and the experiences that have formed and distorted him spiritually and mentally and about the opportunities that have come by in his life to do good, uh, to pursue spiritual excellence that he has led slip by. And when I say painful, I don't mean that in a light metaphorical sense. I, I mean painful because the, the, the whole idea behind what's purgative about this purgatory is that there is no longer any ability to excuse yourself or to lie to yourself about the reasons for the things that have happened in your life. Those things that are your responsibility 
are your responsibility and you have to come to grips with that. Um, your petty acts of barbarism, of, of callousness, your lack of compassion, your foolishness. Um, and at the same time, um, for those ways in which you harm the people around you, um, the offenses that you have committed against God and the offenses that you've committed against your own better self. And so as, as that begins to mound up around um, Dan, he begins to actually suffer. That is, uh, that is in this particular um, book, the, the meat of his suffering is to realize, to really see his life was rather than a, as he wished it had been. Hmm. Well, Dan is, you know, the novel's full of flashbacks, Dan's life, as you mentioned. Yes. That's precisely the point uh, of purgatory for him, is to come to grips with, uh, with how he spent his life. And we learn that Dan reverted to Catholicism. So he was a cradle Catholic, but he reverted to Catholicism later in life uh, after a... Uh, just a long chain of sins, mistakes, and failures, uh, disappointments, and a, lo a lot of pain and isolation. What was it that kept Dan away from the church, away from his faith, the Christian faith, for so many years? And then what was it that brought him back? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question, because that's one of the places where I had to refer not merely to my own experience, but to actually talk with other reverts about their experience leaving the church and staying away from the church and actually coming back. Yeah. Um, and the reasons for, for leaving uh, are, there are many, but it comes often down to sin from our desire to do certain things that God forbids and decide that we know how to run our lives better than God knows how to run them. Um, and the, the, action, the biggest um, obstacles, I guess, to coming back uh, often involve, sometimes there are resentments and sometimes there's a sense that the church was not there for me when I needed help, when I needed advice, when I needed help, uh, a, you know, a fatherly or motherly hand. But quite as often, it's something as simple as embarrassment. And the, the realization that coming back means, in a sense, admitting that you were wrong, yeah. that all of your high hand and morality and outrage um, was really opposed because the church right all the time. Uh, and for, for me, I know that and one of the main reasons had to do with finally coming to grips with uh, what St. Peter said, you know, <laughs> To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And to realize that that, that, that is where the truth resides, is in the magisterium of the church. Uh, and there is no other place to go. You mentioned that you, you, you actually talked to reverts. You did some research to see what, the, what their own motivations were, what the experience was like for them. And... Uh, did you find in the process of, of writing uh, Hiker's Guide to Purgatory, do you find yourself learning things that you didn't expect to learn? 
Yes, a lot of them. Uh, some of them came, up, came about uh, during the writing of the book and during the um, during the research that I did. Some of those being sort of intellectual lessons. For instance, learning that the church's um, depiction and um, imagination of purgatory uh, is not uh, monolithic. Um, and probably it never has been that beside the picture of a, a sort of um, solitary confinement cell somewhere where you're you're waiting for your sentence to be up, uh, there is also a strong sense of purgatory being a journey, a journey of transformation and of uh, letting go and acquiring those, those excellencies, those virtues in their fullness make us fit for heaven. Uh, that, was, that was one of the things that I had learned. There were several more painful personal things I learned. Um, one of those was that, um, that there are things that can't be fixed in this life, in this earth that in spite of all of our repentance, all of our sorrow, things that we have done and the harm that we have caused, and our willingness to, uh, to make amends in any way that we can, there are still things that we can't undo. Mm. There are bells that can't be unrung. Uh, and fortunately, one of the things that, again, made me eager for pur purgatory is that there is some place where God can fix what we can't fix. Wow. Um, it was Pope who said that um, purgatory is, the, the meaning of purgatory is that God can put the broken pieces back together again. That's beautiful. Do you... Yeah, um, no, that's yeah. What do I add to that? I mean, do you did was did, was that a, so? Was that a surprise to you? I mean, what was your own understanding of purgatory before you wrote this book? Uh, let's say before you started. How do I put it? Or had you been the catechesis you received growing up? Did you have a sense of purgatory as being kind of a like after school detention, you know, um, rather than a place yeah, of that. Yeah, I think that that's a good descriptor I, I learned uh, growing up. And that wasn't necessarily bad, um, but it wasn't complete. And it was, um, I think, a, a stopgap sort of description of a process that's, I think, much more subtle and yet more, um, more intense um, that goes deep to our soul. Um, part to tell a, a grade school kid what that is like, yeah, right? Um, so I, <laughs> my teachers could be even for maybe not uh, not going as deeply as Dante did, for yeah, instance. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> uh, for me personally, uh, reading the Hiker's Guide to Purgatory, I'll show the cover one more time. It's beautiful. Got a glowing man in a landscape here. And that's actually, this is the photo. We did this with a photo that you provided, Dan. I almost called you Dan. Michael. Yes, that's <laughs> me. Michael with the narrator. Yeah. The, uh, it's me, yeah. I thought it was very uh, good. But... 
that that was a lovely lovely cover yeah they did great work with the design so and i think reading this book myself and working on it uh i found myself connecting with dan uh even though you know dan's man he's 77 i'm 32 we're still both men with typical male struggles such as you know i think self-absorption and pride and workaholism and kind of narcissism you know, reluctance to receive yep. mercy because you're better than that because you're, you know, perfect. And um, and at times I really felt like I was being transformed along along with Dan. You know, it was it was it was a purifying read for me, a purifying journey. And I wanted to ask you, what are three lessons that you hope that readers will take away from A Hiker's Guide to Purgatory? Well, First of all, as I think I said earlier, um, the major reason I, I, I guess, didn't put pen to paper, but put a finger to keyboard was that I wanted people, not just Catholics, but even uh, non-Catholic Christians who have been puzzled by the whole idea of purgatory, uh, and even maybe non-Christians who are thinking about the afterlife seriously for the first time in their life. Think of it without dread and without a, without fear of God, um, realizing that if we have sincerely approached him with repentance and humility, that he will honor that, that eager for that, and that we have nothing to fear but the inevitable task of making ourselves ready for eternal life with him and that's really what glory is it's making ourselves ready to spend eternity with our lord uh so that that's the first thing <laughs> um so i also want to to encourage people to look honestly at their lives um while they still can to look at the ways in which we can recognize those patterns that have formed us up till now that may, maybe need to be changed, that can make uh, reparation for the things that we have done, uh, and that we can learn to accept the mercy of God and welcome it. Uh, and finally, <laughs> this seems like a little bit of it, but I think that I would have like, and that's one of the themes that I tried to, to focus on in the second half of the book, that we not simply um, allow ourselves to just kind of get by with a sort of a um, Christianity, that we not that we not see salvation as our, our, our as our main goal, but as just the start of a greater adventure, one where we actually can pursue the excellence that God has has laid out for us, and we can become the the sons and daughters that He wants us to be. That that we can be not simply um, the guy who kind of sneaked into heaven by the by the skin of his teeth. That someone who has been determined to put as much energy and and effort into spiritual excellence and in his readiness um, for an eternity with God as he puts into his career or his golf game, 
um, that we we not settle for mediocrity in our spiritual lives, but that we pursue lives of excellence that are devoted to eternity. That was too talking, but. <laughs> Amen. Well, this has been such a pleasure, Michael, talking to you finally uh, about this great book, A Hiker's Guide to Purgatory. I want to encourage everyone listening and reading out there, uh, buy a copy not only for yourself, but for your dad and your brother. And uh, it's really, it's a fun read. It's funny, full of wit and humor, beautiful descriptions of landscapes. If you like hiking, whether you like hiking or you like purgatory, it's, it's the read for you. So um, I think that uh, I really want to encourage everybody to buy a copy. It's, 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 uh, it's a real, it's not only a treat, but it's, uh, it's spiritually nourishing and it can be a great companion on, on your walk with the Lord. So Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Thomas. This podcast has been brought to you by Ignatius Press. We encourage you to check out our books and videos at your local Catholic bookstore or wherever else books and videos are sold. You can also sign up to receive special discounts on books and videos at ignatius.com. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please like the podcast on the website or app from which you listen to it. And please tell your friends about it. I'm Mark Brumley, and on behalf of everyone at Ignatius Press, Thanks for listening.